Tonight's reading is from Jonah 3, verses 1 through 5. Then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord and went to Nineveh. Now Nineveh was a very large city. It took three days to go through it. Jonah began by going a day's journey into the city, proclaiming, Forty more days and Nineveh will be overthrown. The Ninevites believed God. A fast was proclaimed, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening. My name is Jason, and if we haven't met, I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Downtown, and we're so glad that you've chosen to worship with us tonight. And it is just an honor and a joy to worship you, with you each week at Grace Downtown. I so enjoy uh, hearing as we worship God on his throne together. So thank you for the honor of just being able to worship with you tonight. Also have the honor of opening up the word. Um, it's always an amazing thing when we can open up and learn from God's word. We started out this series by looking at the beauty and the amazing grace that God speaks to us to begin with. It's amazing that God would speak to man. The God who spoke the world into existence, the God who breathed life into us, the God who made something out of nothing, the God who is eternal and all-powerful speaks to us. And as you just heard Olivia read from Jonah chapter 3, we learn in Jonah chapter 3 that not only does God speak, he speaks a second time, even after we have already blown it. Would you pray with me as we open up Jonah chapter 3 together? Heavenly Father, we thank you for this opportunity to hear from you. Thank you for the grace and mercy of your speech. Thank you for the grace and the mercy of speaking to us a second time and a third time and so many times over and over again, even after we have blown it. Father, we pray that you would speak specifically what you would want us and need us to hear tonight. God, we look forward to seeing what you have to say to us, even if it is difficult to hear. God, we want to be a church that reflects the good news of the gospel in all we say and do, in the way we order our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. As we open up Jonah chapter 3, we'll continue our series through the book of Jonah. And as I said, we started out by looking at how God speaks. And we read here from the very beginning that God spoke a second time to Jonah. Have you ever needed a second chance? Let me rephrase the question. When did you need a second chance? We have all needed second chances, whether it's in our earthly relationships or in our relationship with God. And if we're honest, we don't just need second chances. Sometimes it's a third, fourth, one hundredth chance to do the right thing. Well, here we see Jonah receive that second chance. Let's do a little bit of review on the first two chapters of Jonah. In the first chapter of Jonah, we hear God speak to Jonah the first time. And he tells Jonah to rise up and go to Nineveh. Nineveh, the capital of Assyria, a powerful, great, and mighty city, but also a violent people. They were particularly violent against the people of God. And so God calls Jonah to go and speak the word of the Lord to Nineveh and the Ninevites, but instead 
Jonah goes in the opposite direction and literally takes the first boat to the ends of the earth that he can find. As he is on this boat, a storm arises and Jonah deduces that that is the discipline of the Lord and he instructs the sailors to throw him off into the sea because that's what he deserves, is the death of dying at sea during a storm. But God in his divine mercy, but also in his discipline, sends the giant fish to swallow up Jonah and Jonah spends three days in the belly of the fish. And as you heard a couple of weeks ago, uh, there was a guy who was diving for lobsters and got swallowed by a whale and he was in his mouth for about 30 seconds. This is true life story. This happened to this guy. And after uh, a little while, he discovered that uh, he at first thought he was not going to make it. And then the, the whale shot him out and he made it. Well, Jonah, at some point when he was in the belly of the whale, thought, maybe I'm not going to die. So we see in Jonah chapter 2, we see some of Jonah's thoughts and some of what's going through his head as he is experiencing the discipline of the Lord, but also the grace and the mercy of God as well. And that's where we pick up the story in Jonah chapter 3. In verse 1, we read, the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Before we go any further, I'd like to stop here and say that for some of us, God is trying to speak to us right now in this place, in this season of our life, and we are not listening because of our shame. Because the last time God spoke to us, we did not obey and we went in the opposite direction. And so now God is trying to speak to us through his word, through his spirit, and through his people. And sometimes we don't listen because we're stuck in our shame. And we believe that we're not worthy to hear the voice of God. I want to encourage you tonight as we get started in God's word that the same God who spoke to Jonah a second time wants to speak to you now. And I want to ask tonight, are you listening as he tries to speak to you? Verse 2, God says, Arise, Jonah, and go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it the message that I tell you. If this sounds familiar to you, it's because this is exactly what God told Jonah to do in chapter 1. This is how the book of Jonah starts, is God telling Jonah to go and give the message he would give him to the Ninevites. Same message, second time. Let's see what Jonah does this time. Verse 3, the first half of verse 3. So Jonah arose and went to Nineveh. All right, finally, we're on the right track, right? Jonah is doing the right thing. He is obeying the word of the Lord. Instead of arising and going the opposite direction, he goes towards Nineveh, where God has called him to go. And we're told that he does so according to the word of the Lord. By definition, this is what obedience looks like. God speaks. We hear We listen, we obey, we do what we're told. Doing according to the word of the Lord. This is what obedience looks like. The second half of verse 3, Now Nineveh was an exceedingly great city, three days' journey in breadth. This three days' journey in breadth, it can mean a couple of different things, and commentators and theologians and historians uh, point out that there's two different things this could mean. Uh, One thing that it could mean is that it is three days' journey to walk across Nineveh. Uh, Three days' walking journey would be from about here to Des Moines. That's pretty big. That's a big city. So either there's a little bit of hyperbole going on, saying that basically 
Nineveh was big, or it could mean that Jonah was three days' journey away from Nineveh. It doesn't matter. The point of the the whole thing is that Nineveh was a great city. And we know that, not just from the Bible, but from history as well. Again, it was the capital of Assyria. It was an influential people, an influential city with an influential king who had basically come to power at the tip of a spear through violence and oppression of other people. But Nineveh was a great and powerful and important city. Verse 4, Jonah began to go into the city going a day's journey, and he called out, quote, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall, shall be overthrown, exclamation point, end quote. Can we just stop right here and say this is not a good sermon? This is not a good sermon. Now, I will grant that the author here is probably just giving us a snapshot of what Jonah said. He probably said more, and I think we can deduce from the rest of the passage that he probably did, but this is the snapshot that we are given. This is one aspect of what God wanted to do in Nineveh, but it's just one aspect. This is similar to the street corner preacher who is standing on the side of the street and either yelling or holding up a sign that says, repent or you will go to hell. Okay, factually true, but maybe there's more to the story or more that we want to say. So this is Jonah's sermon or evangelism or message to the Ninevites. So let's see what happens. Verse 5, And the people of Nineveh believed God, and they called for a fast and put on sackcloth from the greatest of them to the least of them. Even more amazing than Jonah's bad sermon and bad evangelism was the fact that it worked. The Ninevites did what Jonah had failed to do for the first two chapters of Jonah. They believed the word of God. And they believed that it was true and that God, what God said he would do, he was going to do. The Ninevites believed God. And then what's this business about fasting and sackcloth? This was an ancient way of lamenting. We see this mentioned 40 times in the Old Testament. This is something that not just God's people do, but people of the ancient world. This is how they would lament over their circumstances or lament over their sin or lament over what was happening in their lives. They would put on sackcloth. And if you've never worn sackcloth, it is not comfortable. The idea of wearing sackcloth was to be abrasive. They would rub against your skin and remind you of the weight of sin or would put you in a state of mourning and lament. So here we see the people of Nineveh believing God and getting to a place of lamenting what God has said is going to happen to them. This word overthrown, that Nineveh shall be overthrown, it it literally means turned upside down. They believed that God was in some way going to turn their culture upside down. Everything they knew was about to be turned upside down. Verses 6 through 8, the word reached the king of Nineveh, and he arose from his throne and removed his robe, covered himself with sackcloth, and sat in ashes. He issued a proclamation and published through Nineveh, by the decree of the king and his nobles, let neither man nor beast, herd nor flock, taste anything. Let them not feed or drink water, but let man and beast be covered with sackcloth, and let them call out mightily to God. Let everyone turn from his evil ways and from the violence that is in his hearts. Even the beasts of the field were to put on sackcloth and fast and be covered with ashes to lament the state 
of their community, to lament the state of their violence, to lament the waywardness from God, to lament what God was about to do to them. In all of this language, we are seeing from the least to the greatest, from beast to king. They believed God and they believed what God said was going to happen, was going to happen, and it brought them to a place of lament. We're told in Romans 1 that creation itself groans under the weight of sin and death. That's what we're seeing here, very literally. This is what the beginning of a revival looks like. This is what the beginning of a revival looks like. It looks like people believing the word of God and lamenting over the state of their hearts, of their lives, of their church, of their family, of their society, of their violence, of their oppression, of their injustice. This is what the beginning of a revival looks like. Look with me at verse 9. The king says, who knows? God may turn and relent and turn from his fierce anger so that we may not perish. Here we see the king have something that Jonah did not to this point. To this point, we have seen Jonah participate in a number of disobedient acts before God, but one of them is the sin of presumption. Jonah presumed that he knew the way that God operates. As we open up the book of Jonah, Jonah presumes that he is in the fold, that he is in the people of God because he's Jewish, and there's no way that God's going to save those Gentile, pagan, Assyrian, Ninevites that have done violence against my people. We're going to learn more about this next week, but that's the main reason he didn't want to go to Nineveh. He knew that God was powerful and that he could save some of the Ninevites and he didn't want to share the kingdom with his enemies. Jonah presumed to know what was on the heart of God. But here, in this pagan, Gentile, violent king that until today didn't give a rip about what the God of the Jews said, says, who knows what this God will do? Perhaps if we repent, perhaps if we overturn our society and change some things, perhaps he will turn from his fierce anger and maybe we will not perish. Let's see what God's response is to man's response to God's word. Verse 10, when God saw what they did, how they turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he had said he would do to them, and he did not do it. The language here is actually the same. The Ninevites turned from their violence, and God turned from his fierce anger and allowed them to live. He turned his wrath and his fierce anger away from them. What God extends the Ninevites because of their, at least to this point, repentance is common grace. What God gives them here is time to continue to see the grace and the kindness and the mercy of this God that they are now learning about. It would be presumptuous of us to think that someday all of the Ninevites will be with us in the kingdom of heaven. But here we see God offer them common grace so that some will give their life to him. God is extending his invitation into his kingdom to a violent, Gentile, pagan people. It's important for us to take a look at what takes place in Jonah chapter 3 as we prepare our hearts 
for the mission that God has called us to. We're taking a look at Jonah because we want to prepare not only our minds and our hands and our feet with a readiness to share the gospel, but we want to prepare our hearts. This fall, we are going to do an intentional series called Encountering Jesus, where we are intentionally asking you to be praying for and inviting friends to come and hear about Christ's love for them. We are also encouraging you, and we are in the process of training community group leaders to bless our community. It's a simple acronym, B-L-E-S-S, and it's a way of learning and remembering to do lifestyle evangelism and share the good news wherever we go. We can equip our minds and our hands and our feet with new techniques and ways of sharing our faith, and we can have church-wide initiatives, and that's great. But first, we have to address the things in our heart that keep us from believing and sharing the good news. And here in Jonah chapter 3, we see some very instructive things about how the gospel goes forward. So from this chapter, Jonah chapter 3, we are going to take a look at a few reasons we do not share the gospel, and we're going to, going to take a look at a few ways that we should share the gospel. So first, why don't we share the gospel? Number one, we are waiting to be good. We are waiting for us to be right with God. We are waiting for us to be sanctified. We are waiting for us to have all the answers. We are waiting for us to figure out all the arguments for and against Christianity. We are waiting until our life situation pans out. Well, once I get that house, once I graduate from this, once I have this, and we're waiting. We're waiting to share the good news until we're good enough to share it. If we are waiting for ourselves to be good, we will find in our own hearts what we see in Jonah. There is things in our heart that keep us from remembering and believing the good news and sharing it with others. We're far too interested in our own comfort. We're far too interested in building our own kingdoms. And we're waiting until all that junk gets sorted out before we share the good news with others. The story of Jonah shows that we don't have to wait until we clean up our act. God takes this disobedient prophet and uses him for his purposes. So we can't wait until we're good. We will never be good enough. Because that's the good news, right? The good news isn't that we cleaned up our act and got ourselves worthy enough to be saved. The good news of the gospel is that we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Spiritually, we were in the grave, and Jesus reached down into that grave and pulled us out. The Bible also says that we once were blind, and now we have seen. The Bible tells us that we were walking in darkness and now we have been invited into his marvelous light. The Bible tells us that we once had a heart of stone, but he has taken out that heart of stone and given us a heart of flesh. If we wait until we are good, we will never share the good news. The second mistake we make is like it. We wait for our culture to be good. We wait until our culture is good in order to share the good news. We pre-qualify people for coming to church or coming into the kingdom. We think once they clean up their act, maybe they'll want to come to church or maybe they will be worthy of the gospel. 
They think, we think once they vote like us, think like us, talk like us, stop doing that, start doing this, then maybe they'll want to come to church. Or then maybe they will understand the gospel. Folks, that's not how we came into the kingdom. I don't know about you, but I bring into the kingdom a tractor-trailer load full of junk that God is still sorting through in my life. I think if you're honest, it's the same for you. So what we do is we invite people into the kingdom. And the Spirit of God brings people into the kingdom. And then he goes about sorting out that junk over the course of our entire lives. The story of, in the story of Jonah, we find a human fallen prophet that thinks he is big and God brings him low. And then we see the great city of Nineveh and the great king of Nin, Nineveh who think they are great, but God shows them how small they really are. The story of Jonah, the story of the Ninevites, your story, my story, is in us running away from God in the opposite direction. The story of the gospel that we find in Romans is that while we were still sinning, Christ died for us. If we wait until we're good enough or we wait until others are good enough, we will never share the good news because we pre-qualify ourselves and others for the gospel. Third, we forget the good news. We forget the good news. And not like cognitively, like we can't remember the components of the gospel, but we do what the Apostle Paul calls getting caught up in civilian affairs. We get caught up in the things of this world and the small parts of this world and the little g gods and the idols and the creation starts to take the place of the creator. And we start living for the kingdom of man and the kingdom of self and the kingdom of the flesh. And we don't remember the good news of the gospel. Jonah was more concerned with his little kingdom than God's kingdom. So when God says, here's how you can be a part of my kingdom, he goes in the opposite direction to try to keep building his kingdom and keep his little kingdom safe. And far too often, we do the same thing. We lose sight of what we're supposed to be doing to begin with. We don't think about God's kingdom and sharing the good news with others as we make major decisions in our life. And we forget about the good news. Pastor Tim Keller says that the two main reasons we don't share the good news is one, maybe we don't have enough friends and I guess that's on you. Um, no, that's what Bless is all about, building good friendships. So we're going to work through that over the summer. But the second reason is maybe we have friends, but we don't really believe that the gospel is good news. Because when we have good news, we share it. We share all kinds of little good news, but the greatest good news we have ever received is not on the tip of our tongues. Lastly, why don't we share the gospel out of comfort and ease? Jonah thought it would be easier and more comfortable to run from God. He thought that running from God would provide safety. Because as we'll learn next week, he knew that God would save some of the Ninevites. And the Ninevites were his enemies. And he thought if he shared the table of the kingdom with them, that they would continue to do violence against him. He was more concerned with his comfort and his ease than doing 
the will and the call of God. We get caught up in this trap as well. We give in to the lie that is more comfortable and more easy to live for civilian affairs, to not live for the kingdom of God, and just continue building our own kingdom. But in Jonah's pursuit of comfort and ease, he ended up in the belly of a whale. So there's your lesson, friends. (laughs) Don't run from God or you may end up in the belly of a whale. That's all we really needed to say about Jonah. When we desire our own comfort and ease, God will inevitably tell us to do something that is going to make us uncomfortable. And often it's an automatic no. Because it's too uncomfortable. It's not easy enough. If you've looked at the book of Jonah, you'll see that although the Bible, the kids' Bibles end in Jonah 3, the actual Bible does not. And inconveniently, there's a fourth chapter. And it is not a happy ending for our friend Jonah. Because he desires comfort and ease over the things of God. There are two families in our neighborhood as we've moved into a new neighborhood that I think um, probably have the most potential for us to reach out to as we pray through how God would have us bless uh, our neighborhood. One of those families lives right next door. Um, I can stand on my porch or in my driveway and talk to them on their porch or in their driveway, even during COVID. They're right next door. Uh, They were born in America. They have the same skin color as we do. We've been told they have some religious affiliation. Uh, They have two boys. We have four boys. They have an American Ninja Warrior course in their backyard. And getting to know them so far has been pretty easy. There's another family that lives down a big hill that if we go down the big hill, we have to inevitably walk back up the hill. This family also was not born in America. There seems to be, at least with the father, a language barrier, and I can't get anything going with him. He will barely acknowledge my existence as he walks past my house. If we walk in the flesh, and if we pursue comfort and ease, which family do you think we will spend more time with? The one we can talk to without putting shoes on. See, we get off on the wrong foot when we think about what is most easy for us. Instead of asking God, God, what do you want me to do? Because you have given me everything, how can I give you everything? Even my comfort and my ease. So these are some reasons we do not share the gospel. Let's look at some ways to share the gospel. So how do we share the gospel? Number one, we obey the word of God. It's great to do church-wide initiatives. Uh, We're doing this to make sure that we put our money where our mouth is, so to speak, and we make sure that as a church, we are focused on our community. We are focused on our world. We are focused on blessing our community. There's a reason that on July 18th, we won't have services as normal, but we'll go out and do service projects in our community. It's good to do those kinds of things. But ultimately, folks, what we need is God's word. We need to know And to obey God's word. And if we do so, we will be on mission for him. Because as we read his word, we see cover to cover that God is redeeming some from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people. And that mission has been his mission from the very beginning. 
And he invites us into and uses us a part of his kingdom mission. He puts his spirit inside of us. He gives us unique gifts in order to build his kingdom and see his kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. He invites us into that. And when we know the word of God and we know the heart of God and we obey the word of God, we are on mission for him. Far too often we think the commission to go and make disciples is an optional activity for the spiritual elite. When instead is what it means to follow Christ. It's what it means to be a part of the kingdom of God. As we obey God's word, we will be on mission for him. Second, as we know God's word, don't run from God. Don't run from God. The question really comes down to, are we going to do what's easy and comfortable, or are we going to obey him? Are we going to remember and have faith that there is great joy and great fruit that comes from our obedience and not running from God? Theologian Rosemary Nixon says that when God tells his people to go, they find that he is already there. Where God is inviting you to go, where God is sending you to go, he is already there. God tells Jonah, go to this pagan, Gentile city that has done nothing but violence against your people. But God says, I'll go first. I will go do a work so you can give this subpar sermon and they'll turn over the city. Whenever God says go, his spirit goes in advance and does the hard work of changing hearts. The spirit is doing the work of making a plentiful harvest. And then he calls the workers to go and reap the harvest that the spirit is bringing in. Don't run from God, but be a part of what he is doing in our world. Third, open your mouth. Open your mouth. In the last eight or nine years between here and North Liberty, I've preached about 150 sermons. And let me tell you, some of them have been stinkers. Some of you are like, I've been here from the beginning. I can testify. There's been some that just were not what they could have been, in my opinion. Maybe I didn't study enough. Maybe I missed something. Maybe I wasn't feeling well that way, or spiritually I wasn't in the right place, or I was walking in pride or frustration, and they just weren't great. But inevitably, when I feel that way about a sermon, someone will come up to me with a tear in their eye and say, your words changed my life today. I'm like, well, praise God. There are other times when I preach and I think, That sermon was awesome. That was the best sermon I have ever given. In fact, that is the greatest sermon that has ever been preached at Grace Community Church. (laughs) Shows you the wickedness of my own heart. And after, when I feel that way about a sermon, nothing. Crickets. Everybody just leaves. No one says anything. And I'm left to just wonder. It's God's funny little way of reminding me that it's not about me. It's not about my eloquence. It's not about my wisdom. It's not about my wise and persuasive words. It's about the Spirit of God taking our feeble words and using them for something 
great. In Luke 12, Jesus tells his disciples, someday you will be drugged into the synagogues and put on trial. Don't prepare anything in advance and don't meditate on what you will say because the Spirit will tell you what to say. Many times we don't share the good news of the gospel because we're overthinking it. We don't know what to say. We don't know how to say it. We're thinking about what the other person does or does not already believe instead of just opening our mouth and trusting that the Lord will use our feeble words to do a miraculous work. And in light of all this, lastly, we pray. We pray and we ask God to do the work that our words never could. My senior year of high school, I went to Estes Park, Colorado to do a leadership training, but also a mission project. And during that project, we went to a park and we um, struck up conversations with people that were playing in the parks. And we would play frisbee with them or soccer with them or, or whatever. And then we would um, pull them aside and we would ask if they would do like a spiritual survey. So we played frisbee with these kids and there was like a 10 or 11 year old boy and um, we just kind of peeled off from the group and I asked him if I could ask him some questions uh, about spiritual life. And he's like, sure. And I'm like, so when I say the word Jesus, what do you think? And he's like, I think that I'm glad you're here today. I'm like, oh, tell me more. And he's like, last night I had a dream and Jesus came to me and said that you would come and share the gospel with me and I'm ready to pray and become a Christian. Like, okay, youth leader, help. I need help over here. It's the easiest evangelism I've ever done. We prayed that God would use us and the spirit of God went before us. We were just there to be a small part of what God was already doing in his world. We need to pray to that end. The first letter and the first phrase in the BLESS acronym is begin with prayer. We begin with prayer because we don't know what God is doing in our world. We don't know who God is going to save. And even if we did, we can't save them. Because it's only the power and spirit and good news of the gospel that raises the dead. You have no ability in your words or in your acts of kindness to raise the dead or to take out someone's stone heart and give them a heart of flesh. Only the spirit of the living God can do that. And we need to pray that he would take our feeble words and our humble actions and use them to save lives. We'll conclude with this in Zechariah chapter 8. We get a beautiful picture of what the city of God looks like. We are told that in Jerusalem, the city of God, it will be a city of peace, a city of shalom, where the kingdom has come and the will of God is done in all things. We see a, a city and a people of fruitfulness, a people that are obeying the word of God, and they're seeing the fruit that comes from that, that are giving their lives to obeying him instead of getting caught up in civilian affairs and ease and comfort. We're told that the presence of God is continually in their midst. And we're told that boys and girls play openly in the streets and they are safe. And then the last verse of Zechariah chapter 8 
says that men from 10 nations will come and grab onto the cloak of God's people and want to be a part of this city. 10 men representing completion. That some from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people will see the city and the people of God and say, tell me about the hope that you have. Tell me about the good news that you obviously know that I don't know. We just sang about this when we sang that nations will come to your light. That is what happens when the people of God live out and believe the good news of the kingdom of God and the gospel. The fulfillment of this prophecy that we find in Zechariah chapter 8 has multiple fulfillments. The first fulfillment was at Pentecost, where the Spirit of God comes And people from different people groups hear the gospel and they believe it in their own language. They hear the gospel and then they go back and very quickly to the ends of the earth, people are believing the good news of the gospel. The final and ultimate fulfillment of this will be in the new heavens and the new earth, the the Jerusalem, Zion, the, the city and the place of God where forever these things will be true, where it will be perfect shalom forever, where every tear will be wiped away from our eyes, where our kids can play in safety forever and there's no need for walls around the city because there's no more enemies to get in. But there's another fulfillment of this prophecy in Zechariah chapter 8 that is taking place every single day in our world as God is expanding his kingdom and adding some to his kingdom from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people. That has been his plan from the beginning and he has not abandoned his plan and he is inviting us in to his kingdom work. The question is, will we get caught up in civilian affairs and ease and comfort, or will we go to the Ninevites and simply open our mouth and trust that God will use it? Would you take a moment and pray with me? Let's take a moment and ask God to do a work in our hearts, And let's take a moment to ask the Spirit of God to go before us and do the work that our humble words and our humble actions could never do. God, what needs to change in our hearts in order to be used by you? Show us very specifically, very personally, what needs to change in our own hearts, the things that are keeping us from sharing the good news with others. Spirit, go before us. Spirit, go before us and start doing the work of softening men and women's hearts from every tribe, tongue, nation, and people that we would see people step into your kingdom during this season where we are intentionally focusing on sharing the good news with others. God, we pray for gospel opportunities on July 18th as we serve our city. We pray for gospel opportunities as we go home this evening. God, we pray for gospel opportunities as we come back from vacation. God, we pray for gospel opportunities as we serve in our community this week. God, would you go before us and would you do a miraculous work in our community and in our world? And God, we want to be a part of seeing your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven.
continue to guide us, direct us, give us wisdom, and give us love for others because you first loved us. In Jesus' name, amen.